Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, listeners. Are you looking for more horror fiction content featuring terrifying stories, incredible voice acting, and high-quality production? Maltopia invites you to make your statement and face your fear with The Magnus Archives by Rusty Quill. At over 160 episodes and counting, The Magnus Archives follows head archivist Jonathan Sims as he and his small but dedicated team endeavor to organize the Magnus Institute's mountain of records involving the supernatural, the paranormal, and other strange, unexplained phenomena. Having just launched their fifth and final season, there's no better time to add the award-winning Magnus Archives to your listening queue. Learn more at RustyQuill.com or search for the Magnus Archives on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks so much for checking them out, and our thanks to Rusty Quill for supporting the Maltopia podcast.
Keith was lost to the horror trapped in his head. The one he tried to keep out. The one that had transformed him. He rarely allowed himself to sleep, a preference given some latitude by his physiological transmutation at the hands of the machine. Sleep was torture, but at least it afforded him the luxury of waking up. Forced into unconsciousness, he was plunged into a very particular hell. It was the sound of the world dying. Before the darkness, it was simply called the hum, a noise only a select number of persons could hear. Among that select number was an even smaller, more exquisitely tortured enclave. Those who could hear little else save for the hum itself, balancing them upon the cusp of utter howling madness. Keith was a member of the latter assemblage, but after the darkness had gone, this small group, made ever smaller by the year-long cataclysm, no longer heard the hum. They were instead beset by an altogether different, perhaps cosmically enhanced, species of the auditory agony. The scream. This newest development continued to shrink the ever-diminishing ranks of the listeners, as the lip of madness made for the perfect springboard into death. Death pursuant to the darkness had a knack for the theatrical, to say the least, and those listeners who perished of the scream did so through no adjacent effects of its ceaselessness, but by its most direct application. Melissa Cotgrave was the first recorded listener-turned-screamer. Early one evening, during the summer of 2001, while reposing pallid and insane within one of the many wasting houses that clung deathful and bleak upon the banks of the Aswagachi River, Melissa succumbed to the scream within her, releasing it at a volume that the world had perhaps never known. Everything within a half mile of her was leveled as if by a bomb, and everything a half mile beyond that lay smashed and scattered. Anyone who lived through the ordeal soon developed a case of the scream themselves, and the government was quick to deal with the infected, and in a manner entirely consistent with the naked barbarism of the era known as the Wasting Times. Keith Noonday was the only listener who proved amenable to living, as his keepers had employed a form of music therapy to help alleviate his suffering, to study and quite possibly weaponize his condition. It was Spider Black who greeted him once he was removed from the Melengen, and who taught him how to play the violin, Keith's favorite instrument. Darkness had fallen by the time the werewind squatted in front of the prone and unconscious conductor, examining the perspiring and shuddering grimace that hung like a weight upon his features, as if trying to uncover the skull beneath. The sound Byron's open hand made upon his captive's face echoed into the darkness, but died into silence at the touch of a thin layer of vacuum that hugged the edges of the room, readying itself should the Malsapien marshal his powers. Keith jerked awake from sleep, his face a rictus of unbridled anguish, but with a deep breath, a calm moved over his face, directed by an intense concentration. His eyes became slits as he looked upon the metallic face of his captor, and his lips became a cupid's bow. So, tell me, my friend, was it your mother or father who lieth in sin with a toaster? Keith taunted his ensuing laughter becoming a strained wheezing within the thin air. So, a comedian as well as a conductor, is it? Byron mused, leaning closer to his kinsman. Heed me well, songbird, for I'll yank the very breath from your hollow bones. 
Should you fail to please me? He reached out and pulled Keith's face close to his own. Does anyone else know you're here? Despite the painful grip the Oversapien exercised upon it, the conductor's face didn't twitch, let alone relinquish its playful smile. How wonderful. A good old-fashioned interrogation, eh? Keith's smile grew wild as he narrowed his eyes. The werewind relinquished his hold despite himself, withdrawing from Keith's ominous expression. The conductor laughed quietly from the back of his throat, finding the werewind's apprehension mildly amusing. In response, Byron tugged at Keith's last breath, watching his face turn blue. All he wanted now was to destroy that smile of his, but Keith only snickered silence from his flattened lungs, refusing to relent. Byron realized the man was likely insane and would die before letting go of his grin, which would serve no useful end. Finally, he allowed some air back into his captive's body. Regaining a touch of his color, Keith blurted, Why, yes, the police know all about your tricky little scheme, and they're on their way this very instant to throw you and your dastardly gang of evildoers straight into the Hooskow. His raucous, crackling <laughs> laughter was beginning to shake the room, shattering the bottles of century drink that lined the walls. Byron struck down the deafening mirth with but a gesture and stood up, fists bloodless at his sides, glaring down at the conductor. Had he assurance the other Malsapien would survive the night, he would gladly suffer whatever reprimand for bringing only two of his catches back alive. But, given the circumstances, he would have to spare this one, despite every compulsion to the contrary. The Oversapien was about to return the conductor to his fitful sleep when the man quit laughing and said, you have it all wrong, my metal-mouthed friend. You're betting on the air, or lack thereof, to save you from me. But a song is so much more than the air that lifts it, more even than the mind that begets it. Songs and screams are only reactions, you see, wakes left whirling in ather and emotion. It is the source of those sounds that should scare you as breath has no place within the breasts of the unbegotten. Keith used his final waking breath to offer a closing insight. Pray I continue to find all of this funny, for if the truth of this world should ever break in on me, all the air in the open sky won't save you. A recalcitrant echo of the now sleeping man's laughter hung in the cellar like a death knell and Byron resisted the impulse to think he'd just been spared. Thousands of thoughts circulated through Henry's unique mind, designed as it was to, among other things, integrate and enslave great numbers of conscious agents, its ceiling in terms of capacity as yet undetermined. The crowd... Henry, to his close associates, narrowed his awareness through the brains of several doctors he'd retained since his arrival in Curious Forest. He had but one task, but it was proving quite difficult. Stabilize the deteriorating Malsapien, whom had been too roughly treated by his companion. And yet, as processed through his recently acquired and highly educated view on the matter, the man's failing health did not fall upon the injury to his respiratory system. In fact, his lungs seemed to have largely recovered. There was something else ailing his patient. 
something that evaporated his muscle mass and even reduced his height and breadth. Mulling various theories concerning his prisoner's condition, having literally a small army of doctors set upon the effort, Henry also considered less obvious origins for the unyielding problem, having realized that the city itself was not without its particular, if not altogether unfathomable, pitfalls. Embellishing the wholly unique thing that was Henry's mind was his ability to compartmentalize and task-relate the network brains at his disposal, allowing him the luxury of fully retaining his analytic thunder when considering different problems simultaneously. Accordingly, Henry pillaged in earnest the folklore of the city and its namesake, sorting through hundreds of supplicant minds, learning about the strange things both had gotten up to after the close of the darkness. The crowd now knew, quite thoroughly, the tales of the nearby woods, how large populations of the city would often awaken beneath its thick canopy, having somehow been spirited from their very beds. Moreover, at several points during the year, the entire population would find itself displaced to a precise location near the foot of the hills leading up into the woodland. Perhaps most portentous was that all the abductees dreamed the same dream, of toiling amongst the night-blackened trees, beneath a sky which held the stars all wrong, placing them closer to the world and in an order and number that was unfamiliar, if not entirely alien. The subject of these labors was uniform across all accounts. The citizens of Curious Forest were constructing, or perhaps reconstructing, something from bones, bones larger than buildings. Perhaps equally strange was that they utilized the powers of gigantic organic machines to perform their strange and solemn work. Henry was wise enough to know that the lingering powers of the great darkness were best left to their business, and that to disturb them was an invitation to hells far hotter than any contrivance of human imagination. Because of this, Henry felt much relieved when he made the informed determination that the Malsapiens' condition was unlikely the product of the forest's mysteries. He also committed to killing no more of the forest's people than was necessary. Even with all of his power, Henry knew when to bow to his betters. He looked down upon the man outstretched on the hospital bed, his every nuance revealed beneath the characteristically sterile light of hospital illumination. No device or technique had been spared the attempt to ascertain the reason for the man's rapid decline, and still the Malsapien's body, like an organic star, Henry mused to himself, continued to collapse upon itself. It seemed that there was only one route left for the collective entity to take. Having no material body to fret for, but certainly concerned about the consequences of mental contact with a person of malgenic composition, Henry firewalled his itinerant consciousness against the psychic fallout from the experiment he was about to perform. Carefully, the Oversapien reached out to Mars's mind, hoping to decode some small measure of its body's dilemma. As the connection loomed, Henry felt like he was approaching an inferno, as the man's mind radiated a fury that roiled the aether around it. At the very moment of contact, a circuit completed between the two beings, creating a cascade of violent energy that crackled its way towards the ethereal body snatcher. As per Henry's preparations, psychic circuit breakers engaged instantly, containing the overflow of unwanted mental effulgence to the pre-designated minds of his thralls. 
the invisible blowback slammed into the brains of the crowd's proxies, lashing their neuronal complexes into unabating frenzy, igniting new orders of behavior and execution. The Oversapien had made certain that his affected circuit breakers had been positioned in a distant meadow within the curious forest, surrounded by armed thralls, to quickly deal with any emergent threats resulting from his experiment. This arrangement also allowed for a fairly controlled observation of any outcomes, possibly furnishing Henry with insight into his patient's condition. The very instant the chosen thralls filled with a surging energy, they launched into a berserker frenzy, teeth barred and hands curling into claws. But Henry was a calculating creature, as was only natural for one who partook from hundreds of minds, and had expected the worst, and so was not taken off his collective guard by the frothing surrogates. The infected were dead before they could finish howling their frenzy into the night air, the guns of their killers discharging simultaneously the unified report becoming thunder running through the trees. Despite the speed of the transaction, from investigational mental contact to mass killing, performed out of determined necessity for aforementioned reasons, the crowd was able to glean certain facts about his failing charge. Chiefly, he realized the violence that escaped the man was not incidental to his ill health, but was the means by which he might be healed. Henry also learned the man's name, a Malsapien called Mars, combined with a brain starving for violence, posed an easy riddle for the creature of many minds to solve. And yet, devising a practical course for stabilizing his kinsmen was not as easy a challenge to overcome, even for the many-minded. Eric leaned over the splayed deer Hazel had struck with a now-smoking car, saddened by the sight. He put his hand to the creature's head, trying to calm it as it faded farther into death with each labored breath. Despite himself, he couldn't help but want to abandon the thing. He wasn't certain that, for even so small a death, if it would awaken some measure of the thing within him. Hazel walked past them, ignoring both. The Englishman found it curious when she began looking over the road as if looking for something. He wondered if she might have been injured during the collision, slightly dazed. But when she turned to where he could see her face, revealing a sober and focused expression, his curiosity only mounted. Finally plucking a broken piece of antler from the road, Hazel gave the shard a quick once-over before placing it into her front pocket. Eric almost assumed the act to be a spiritual gesture, to honor the passing of the deer, but there was something more practical and less mystical about her actions. The car only managed a few more miles in its weakened condition. But according to the map Spider Black had given them, they were well within a spirited hike from their destination. There was little to discuss concerning the circumstances, so it was quickly decided that they should walk through the intervening forestry, the stealthiest of their options. At first glance, they could have passed for a pair of ghosts wandering the dark woods, pale and rootless. But the graver truth was far more complex than what the props of folklore could signify as they had been changed by the designs of a clandestine machine, given gifts neither passenger had so much as guessed at within their deepest dreams, let alone their daylit meditations. Yet this fact, this feeling, was known to them, as it was to all the children of the Melengen. The rules of any good mystery demand a knowing without wisdom, a fleeting glimpse into bottomless depths, where knowledge is but a single candle burning quiet and impotent within a world of utter darkness. 
But this did not stop the pair of passengers from being drawn into yet another round of introspection, as the brooding and darkened woods seemed perfect hosts for such futility. What exactly do we do when we get there? Hazel asked, breaking the contemplative silence binding them. Eric hadn't really thought things through, as his input was rarely, if ever, solicited in such matters. He considered himself more of a conveyance for a member of the group, rather than a member per se. He was only required when the time came for him to release his charge. When we get closer, all I want you to do is wait nearby. I will enter the city and create a stir among whomever comes for me, and and then, uh, during the ensuing commotion, I would like you to seek out our companions." Eric paused, expecting Hazel to object or question the naked simplicity of his plan, if indeed what he had prepared was a plan at all. She said nothing, but only nodded, staring straight ahead as if stealing herself for what was to come. "'I'm assuming Spider at least showed you pictures of us, so you know who to look for?' Eric inquired, expecting the worst. No, but I have a way of figuring it out. Hazel replied with a starkness that caused Eric to rethink his take on the woman, for she seemed more comfortable with their efforts than he'd imagined. Given this, he was about to fill in some of the details of his plan, specifically what she could expect to see from his end of things, when lights appeared ahead, moving carefully among the trees. At first, Eric assumed the lights to be part of some kind of machine, given the uniformity of their movements. But the footfalls, although strangely uniform as well, made him think otherwise. We need to hide, whispered Eric, taking a step back. It was never clear to him just how unfit a leader he was, as the moment blazed his shortcomings in tones of adrenaline and fear. He was a man out of his time and depth, with only an idea for a plan. Worst of all, there were lives hanging in the balance. Specifically, Hazel's life. He'd lived this situation once before, and things did not go well. And yet, the outcome of that previous horror would likely serve as his salvation in this one. His trembling finger played atop the button that lurked beneath his right sleeve, and he could feel an eagerness from the other side of his skin to press it. They'll soon be upon you, Eric, and they'll take her from you. Just like before. Set me free, brother, and do not wonder for whom the bell tolls, for I assure you, it tolls for them. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Maltopia Podcast. For early access to the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes videos, and more, join our community at patreon.com slash maltopia. For original artwork, YouTube narrations, merch, and more, visit our website at maltopia.com. And for the latest news and updates, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On behalf of Mark, Steve, and Walker here at Maltopia, we thank you very much for your support. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>